Hey, welcome everybody to the newest show here on OC Talk Radio, This Week with Wendy. The only show where you'll find real talk about the SoCal estate of mind. Mm, if that sounds intriguing, stick around. We got more. Plus, we got Wendy Ross, who after decades of working at real estate brokerages in Silicon Valley and Orange County, decided it was time to create a different real estate business model. And so she did. That's why Veracity Real Estate was started. The time was right for a renewed commitment to bespoke client advocacy at all price levels. All price levels, really. Seldom available within high-cost, luxury-minded markets like Southern California. So Wendy's built a company of data-driven real estate investment advisors who are truth seekers and truth tellers. So Wendy, what kind of truth are you going to tell us today? I'm going to keep it uh, fun and holiday sort of centric. I, uh, I had a good friend of mine come to me and ask me to value his his coastal property that he leases out as a short-term rental. And I was like, yeah, no problem. It's not my, my main line in business, but you're a good friend and I'll do it. Blew my stinking mind. Hmm. Anyway, I'll get back to that because, you know, you can count on me for a market analysis you won't find anywhere else. And one of the ways I can provide market analysis you won't find anywhere else is because I work with experts and I study from the best, like my guest today, Mr. Rick Sharga. So before Rick and I get into our discussion, let's frame the market from the last week. Distressed inventory, and everyone's asking about this, so I'm going to dive into those silly, murky waters because people want to know. Uh, and when I'm talking about distress, it's a little bit different from what RealtyTrack and other companies are talking about because I'm going to include, include bankruptcies and other forms of distress. But having said that, month to date, we sold 11 homes in various forms of distress. 11. Year to date, we sold 108. That's less than half of 1% people. So if there's a deluge coming, I'd sure like to know where it's coming from, and that is why Rick is here. So back to my friend with his holiday rental. I took a look at how many homes in Orange County, and, and most of these are going to be coastal, granted, how many homes rented for $10,000 or more per month. They have doubled we have twice as many people renting homes for more than ten grand a month, and because there's so much demand for those, the prices have gone up almost 50% year over year, and last year was up over the year before that. So what dismays me about this particular stat is that seldom have we seen anything in Orange County go up and then cycle back down, with the notable exception of the 0809 crash. But since then, when prices go up, rather than going back down, they stabilize for a while because we're all greedy bastards and we refuse to drop our prices, right? <laughs> I mean, we're spoiled here. So enough about that. For my general market update for the last week, we have now reached the 77% mark in terms of month-to-date sales as of last week. And that's great, but we're only 75% of the way through the month. So we're trending ahead of our normal stats for the month. And this is not at all extraordinary. It's boring. It's so, so typical now. Last week, we acquired 640 new listings, which is terrific. It sounds like a lot. However, we sold 646. So people were moving in the wrong direction still. We're selling too much of too little. And this has continued to keep the pressure on median price, which again is up 14.5% year over year. So there we are. Same, same, same. It's Groundhog Day. This is why I have a radio show so I can get people to talk about anything else because I'm getting bored of myself. So... Every week, I'm asking notable names to join me to provide a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in SoCal real estate. And as you probably know by now, I look at things a bit differently, and so do my guests. We're sharing what the industry knows and sometimes what the industry doesn't want you to know, but I do. 
Because if you do it right, your home is going to be the best investment you'll ever make, but only if you know the nuances of the market. So this brings me to today's guest, Rick Sharga, one of my favorite humans and an old friend, and I couldn't be happier to have him here. Um, and everyone thinks the wave of foreclosure is coming, like I said, so I asked him to talk about this and set us straight, talk about what is happening with distressed inventory and the impact on pricing, if there is any. So Rick, thanks for coming. It's great to see you again, and uh, thanks for having me. It's been too long. It's been way too long. Yeah, we need to get together more often. Well, now that you have a radio show, we have an excuse. Fab, Kara. <laughs> My publicist is like nodding. She's on it. All right. So, Rick, it's great to have you uh, here on OC Talk Radio. And everyone who, who everyone knows Realty Truck, but no one knows as well as I do that Rick is one of the country's most frequently quoted sources on real estate, mortgage, and foreclosure trends. Rick Sharga is the executive vice president of Realty Track, which is a leading foreclosure search and discovery website used by real estate agents and investors alike. So, Rick, I have a few burning questions. Let's get to them. Were you, like me, surprised by just how strong the housing market was in 2021? I mean, in California, obviously, specifically in Orange County, but also across the nation. And is it going to continue? I was not even a little bit surprised. Really? No. Why? Um, if you'd asked me that question a year ago, uh, when we were in the midst of the first wave of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, I would have been surprised. In fact, I was, I was doing a webinar with a very well-known real estate analyst back in May of 2020. Mm-hmm. And he very confidently predicted that we'd see home sales drop by 40 or 50 percent that year. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I won't tell you who he was because he's, he's actually a very smart guy and, and would be embarrassed. But, <laughs> but at the time, it was a perfectly logical forecast sure because we'd lost the spring selling season sure march april may were terrible terrible months in 2020 i was there yeah i, I bet um you were you were on the side waving signs saying please buy this house right. uh which is not a problem anymore um yeah. but but no there there are three things that have really stimulated housing demand mm-hmm. uh and and it's nationally and it's in california and it's in orange county they're very similar uh first just demographics so the millennials Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we should blame we do blame the millennials for everything we should um, <laughs> they're they're younger they're more educated they're better looking they're just annoying they're um, smarter faster it's annoying I wouldn't go smarter I, I wouldn't oh, go there okay. I think I think wisdom comes with age so I, I'm, I'm gonna hold on to that one but you know get off my lawn um, <laughs> but they're the largest generation in US history mm-hmm. and the largest group of them is approaching first-time home buying age mm-hmm so they're getting to market a little slower than prior generations, but we, we've known for a while they were coming, mm-hmm. and, and now is their time. Yeah. So that's, that's one. Two is you really can't overstate the impact that mortgage rates have had on, on home buying. No kidding, especially in high-cost areas. Uh, especially in high-cost areas. Our, our parent company, uh, Adam Data Solutions, puts out a, a home equity report mm-hmm. uh, periodically, and some re- I, over 50% let me do that again. Over 25% of homeowners have more than 50% equity right now in their properties. Good There's Lord. $23 trillion in homeowner equity. And this is national? Or? This, is, this is national. Okay. Uh, and and the, the point here, as I'm wandering around, is that the mortgage rates have made it more affordable in more than half of the markets across the country to pay a monthly mortgage bill rather than pay monthly rent. Yeah. So if, if you're a fence sitter, if you're kind of deciding whether it's time to buy or rent, uh, you look at those 2.5, 2.7, mm-hmm. 3.0, uh, 30-year fixed-rate mortgage rates, 
Uh, and it kind of answers your question. Yeah. If inflation's running at 5% and your loan's at 3%, right. why wouldn't you, you jump in? Now, the, the, the flip side of that is home prices have been going up mm-hmm. you know, as, as demand has increased. And up until a few months ago, most states across the country, with one notable exception, uh, had lower mortgage payments this year than they did a year ago, even yeah. with home prices going up. The, the one exception, of course was the golden state of California, where we blew past that that uh, uh, that mortgage rate benefit months and months ago. So those two things, and actually the pandemic, accelerated a trend we'd already seen where people were uh, moving from being urban renters to mm-hmm. suburban homeowners. Mm-hmm. And we've seen actually move to the far suburbs and even to rural areas. Mm-hmm. As people now know they can work from home. Mm-hmm as they're looking for more space uh, in their homes for home offices. Well, exactly. That's yep. what I was calling the reshuffling, stealing yep. from the Zillow executive. Yep. Yeah, Those trends have driven home buying. So yeah. was I surprised we had such a strong year? No, not at all. And and the price the price is going up is, is simply economics 101. It's, Supply and demand. Yeah. yeah. So that, that isn't a surprise either. That will have to slow down. So what do you think for 2022? Do you think it's going to continue to accelerate just not quite so much? My expectation for 2022 is we'll see interest rates tick up finally a mm-hmm. little bit, uh, and we will see home price appreciation slow down. Mm-hmm. Demand is still there, I, I, but I, I do think we'll start to see some lower price properties enter the market uh, as we as we hopefully exit this pandemic. Lord, I hope so. And as that happens, your median actually ticks down yeah. a little bit because now you have lower price properties. So, where do you think the, the lower price properties are going to come from? Existing homeowners who are ready to move up. So, okay. so as uh, look, building permits are up. Uh, housing starts are, are showing signs of life. Mm-hmm. People are moving into more expensive houses. As they do that, they're trading in their old house, and you'll start to see some of those lower price properties come onto the market. We're not going to see it from builders, mm-hmm. especially not in California. They can't afford to build anything affordable here. No, it, it's a hundred. According to Fannie Mae, it's a hundred thousand dollars before you break ground in California. Yeah. Uh, and then the state put in a, a new law that says you have to have a solar energy system, mm-hmm. which adds another ten to $20,000 to your table stake. So I, I'm not sure how you can build affordable housing when you're starting before you put a shovel in the ground mm-hmm. at $120,000. It's just – now, we, we are starting to see some manufactured housing. We, and we are starting to see some tiny houses, ADUs. And, and I think the manufactured housing is going to maybe be a game changer. Fannie and Freddie are both, for the first time in – decades talking about approving financing for no those way. properties. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Freddie just made an announcement a few weeks ago about a brand new program for manufactured housing. Um, and you're making a, a distinction between manufactured housing and mobile homes because they are not the same thing. They are not the same. So thing. manufactured homes prefabricated on a, f- a permanent foundation or, or or at least a semi-permanent foundation. Okay. But but not something that's going to roll away at night <laughs> to your yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic and we need it. Yeah. Because otherwise we're going to have to completely change the way society we look at housing and come up with some trusts and things that are literally charitable institutions that are financing affordable housing. And I don't see that happening. I don't think that we're that kind. I'm going to stop short of of talking about the sociological patterns, but um <laughs> No, I look the 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 bottom line is, uh, you know, we've done copious research on the subject, and most people prefer to live indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're either going to want to buy a house or they're going to rent something, mm-hmm. and and we're at a point right now where there's 
not enough supply of homes for sale to meet demand. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the multifamily market, we're at historically low levels of vacancy. We're below 2%. Which is stunning. It's So it's one of the things I think a lot of the analysts missed and a lot of the economists missed, and and I've been talking about this for a long time, is uh, household formation. I I think we've had a huge surge in household formation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of it is a rebound because during the pandemic, we had the largest percentage of young adults in history living at home with mom and dad. Exactly, exactly. Apparently, mom and dad cut off the Xbox so they can't play, you know, we can't play whatever video games they're playing, um, (laughs) Minecraft or or whatever. Um, Don't look at me. I didn't have kids. I don't know. But but no, as as they've... Decided it's time to move out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have a groundswell of people uh, who need a place to live, right? And, and they're they're renting and they're buying in in you know really really high numbers right now. Well, and and these young people, I, I'm going to try not to call them kids, but these young people um, very often are saving their pennies because they were living at home with mom and dad for so long. Yep. They've got decent jobs, um, and I was reading a report with some of my friends this morning. Many, many, many of them never intend to have children. So they're planning for a life of more discretionary income mm-hmm. than generations before them. So, yeah, it makes complete sense that they're jumping into buying something, especially because we're at that sweet spot where after the tax benefit, however limited it may be with salt tax, and if we do get that reform, meh, there's a whole other conversation, they're still coming out ahead as homeowners, and they're, they're starting to see that. And that's exactly why I put a 23-year-old on my sales team, yep. because he can speak their language. Yeah, whatever, whatever language that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like English. It, it's a, it's a, oh, wait, it you're sounds, a dad. You it should sounds know. vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah. How, how old are your kids? Uh, well, I have 25 and 19, so I'm, I'm right, right there. Yep. There you uh, so- yep. So you're speaking from direct experience. Absolutely. Did you cut off their Xbox? No, not yet. I, I, I don't I don't mind them being there. And and you know, it's it's been tough for kids graduating the last couple of years. Yeah. Because of COVID and because of, of everything changing mm-hmm. uh, the the way that it has. And our state and, and our state has not recovered as quickly uh, as the rest of the country has from an economic standpoint. Uh, Orange County's done better than most of the state. But, you know, our, our unemployment rates, even in Orange County, are still running about a point higher than the national numbers are. And do you think that's because of the type of, is that the agricultural element suffering? No. Is it the hospitality? The COVID-19 recession was a very unusual recession. Uh, and one of the reasons it was unusual is that it hammered a handful of industries extraordinarily hard. Right. Uh, retail, restaurants, travel, tourism, hospitality, entertainment. And if you think about those industries, mm-hmm. that's a huge percentage of the California economy. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we've recovered as well as we have so far um, is is amazing. But just using a local example, Disneyland is the largest employer in Orange County. Right. And they hung on to, to their cast members, not employees, to their cast members, really for about as long as you could have, have hoped a company would do that during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Which was noble. But ultimately, they wound up laying off 23,000 people. Right. And they've hired less than half of them back so far. And again, that's a function of just unfortunate business requirements. Yeah. You can't cut off your nose in spite of your face. I'm, I'm saying nothing negative about Disney here. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually a big fan of the company. but And, and it, we've been pass holders for 190 years, I think. At least that's what the bills look like. But but <laughs> but no, this is this is all absolutely cause and effect. It, yeah. their, their businesses are not back to where they were, so they don't have the need for quite as many people as they did. I think one of the long term impacts that this pandemic is going to have on on the on the market in general mm-hmm. is I think there have been a lot of companies in these service industries that have suddenly figured out how to do more with less people. 
Absolutely. And, and I think that, that may be a structural change we have to deal with as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Well, technology is always, um, has always aided us. and We've yeah. always gotten exponentially more efficient. You know this more than anybody. I'm preaching to the choir here, for heaven's sakes. You work, you work at Realty Track. But yes, I, mean, I find that my own team, I've got a team of four, and we're getting a whole bunch more done mm-hmm. than we would have before the team of you know, six or seven, probably. But all of this, all of this said... We're still recovering from the COVID crisis, especially here in California. Mm-hmm. We don't have all the service sector jobs back yet, especially in hospitality. Prices are still going up like mad. How is this not a bubble? Well, two, two things. Let me go back to something you just said, then we'll get to bubbles specifically. Okay. Um, California is a bit of an outlier compared to a lot of the rest of the country. So you talked about service industry jobs not coming back. Mm-hmm. I, I would submit to you that the people that are employed in the service industry mm-hmm. in California are not homeowners and are unlikely to be homeowners anytime soon. I've actually made that argument myself. Uh, when, when your median home price is $800,000, right. uh, it means that, A, neither of my kids is ever going to be a homeowner in California because mm. dad, dad's done okay, but I can't support both of them in $800,000 houses. Um, and that a lot of employees in the state, in a lot of those industries, mm-hmm. just will never make enough money to be able to afford that kind of housing. Um, Fair. So, so that uh, California is a bit of an outlier on the bubble issue. The truth of the matter is no matter who you talk to and no matter how smart they tell you they are, nobody really knows there's a bubble until it bursts. I love that. I love someone who is actually an expert admitting that we don't know until we know. I'm I'm never the smartest guy in the room. I, I, I like to sometimes think I'm the second smartest. Uh, but if I go into a room and I know more than anybody else, it's time for me to leave the room. Wrong it's, room. It's, it's not a very good room. Um, here's, here's what you look at though. Uh, and, and one of the reasons I don't think we're in a bubble. If, if you take a look at nominal home prices Mm -hmm. right now, they're as high as they're the highest they've ever been. Sure. If you look at the prior peak, which was around 2006, Mm -hmm. you can see we're higher than that, Mm -hmm. but we're higher than that in 2021 dollars. Right. So we've had we've had 10 years of inflation, 15 years of inflation since mm-hmm. that last bubble. And increases in wages and everything wages else. Wages have gone up. So affordability and, and interest rates have gone down. People forget during that last housing boom, mm-hmm. interest rates were 6 and 7%. So now we're looking at 3%. So affordability is actually a lot better. Um, second factor is that people are not getting 100% financing. Mm-hmm. So these are people who qualify for the loans. They're trading in the equity on the last house they had that's gone up. 30%. Mm-hmm. And so their down payments are 25, 30% on that new home to keep the payments affordable. Exactly. So they can actually afford these properties. And the third is, I believe the median home values that we hear are a little bit inflated. And and the reason for that, we were talking about this earlier, is if you remember sixth grade math, the mm-hmm. median was the midpoint between exactly. low and high. It's not the average. It's not the average. And we're get the numbers we get fed are medians. Mm-hmm. And if there's nothing selling at the low end, mm-hmm. the bottom moves up, which means the middle moves up. Right. So a little bit of this is product mix, too. Absolutely. Um, well, and I think anyway. we're selling extraordinarily more of the $15 million plus product right now. And I wonder, I have to wonder if that's going to continue or if that's going to calm down, which also will adjust the median. Yeah. The, where I do see uh, a little bit of re- retrenchment is, mm-hmm. is at that high end. Mm, the super luxury? Uh, yeah. Well, super luxury and even the category below that, the luxury. Okay. Uh, we've already started to see price reductions in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. uh, Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if we start seeing them on, on coastal California down here in, in the southern part of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't expect we'll see that on the low tier or even the mid-priced range. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Um, but I, I do. Th- I, I think we could see some price corrections. And, and the, 
you know, my arbitrary definition, so this is my definition uh, of the difference between a bubble and a correction, Mm -hmm. is if the price drops 10% or less, it's a correction. Okay. 10% or more, it's a bubble. Um, That's a good rule of thumb. It's just my rule of thumb. I'm writing a book about it called uh, What Happens When the Bubble Pops. I'm not really doing that. Um, <laughs> but but so I, I do think we'll see price corrections. We'll, we'll certainly see them in, in markets that got out over their skis. Yeah. Boise, Idaho, Austin. Boise prices went up 45% year over year. And it was Californians selling a house in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm taking their cash and buying a property for cash in Boise at, they didn't care if it was 40 or 50% above market. They weren't financing it. Because they weren't financing it. And they're not going to sell it. Nope. And they're putting the money, they're still putting money in the bank after they purchased the house. So Mm -hmm. didn't do much for local Boiseans um, in terms of their ability to buy a house. Right. And we are starting to see some price corrections in that market. But I think, I think, you know, nationally, we're probably looking at five to 7% home price appreciation next year. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, yeah, but California, who knows? Just because we're, we're again, we really are an outlier state. I really need you to tell me that things are going to calm down. I need the, you to tell me there's going to be a crash. But It's not going to be a crash. It, it will calm down. But right. look, we've had exactly two crashes in the history of the housing market in the United States. Mm-hmm. One was the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. One was the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. This COVID thing looked like it might cause another one. Mm-hmm. And it was the single biggest Quarter over quarter drop in GDP in history, 31%, followed by the biggest single gain in GDP in history, 33%. So we're, we're, we're finally now back to about where we were before the crash. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the markets that the recession hit, it didn't hit homeowners, it hit renters. And, right. and so it, it really, that when people talk about a K-shaped recovery, mm-hmm. those professional managerial types mm-hmm. did really well getting through yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. It was the, the hourly wage earners who were at the lower end of the wage scale that got clobbered. Well, I appreciate that you're confirming my suspicions, but it does sadden me that, you know, this pandemic, as everyone has said, has hit the poorest the most dramatically. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's just made the poor poorer. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take issue there a little bit. Mm. The government wrote a check for $7 trillion. Okay, fair enough. The bailouts were real. Yeah, and, and most of that did not go to the rich wage earners. Most, yeah. most of that went to people at or below median uh, amounts of income. Uh, you know, the, the, the enhanced unemployment benefits, mm-hmm. uh, the stimulus checks. Mm-hmm. So we have, interestingly enough, we have the highest rate of savings in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the market is flush with capital, which is why you're seeing investors come into the market, too. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just it's been an interesting time. And it's going to continue to be an interesting time. There's Ironically, that's an ancient Chinese curse, you know. Actually, I've heard dis- differing stories about may, that. May you live in interesting times. See, I, I, and I've heard that challenge that it wasn't actually a Chinese um, curse or myth. But. I'm going with Chinese curse. That's, that's, what I've, that's what I've been taught since I was a wee young lad. So, so it must you know, be true. It must be true. It must be true. I didn't learn it on the internet, so it must be true. All right. So, and then I know I keep taking you back and leading the horse back to the stable, but so what's happening with foreclosures? Are they coming or not? No. What else you want to talk about? So, I love it. That's how I answer. People ask so, me, I'm like, nope. So here, everybody thought, and, and, and this is logical. This is very logical. We lost mm-hmm. 22 million jobs overnight. Mm-hmm. We went from three and a half percent unemployment to 15% unemployment virtually overnight. Mm-hmm. How do you lose 22 million jobs and not have a whole bunch of foreclosures? Well, you have the government write a $7 trillion check. Yep. That that helps. Yep. 
Um, you put in a, a foreclosure moratorium for 18 right. months. preventing it. Mm-hmm. And you put a mortgage forbearance program in place that tells people, if you can't afford your mortgage mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. tell your lender that you're affected by COVID and you won't have to pay. Mm-hmm. And we'll give you six months. And mm-hmm. if you need another six months, we'll do that. And yeah. when we have a new administration in White House, we'll add another six months. Yeah. So you cannot pay your mortgage for 18 months. And And I still fought with people who said, yeah, but if they're in forbearance, they're going to go into foreclosure eventually. And I'm like, okay. So there were four and a half million people that began in the forbearance program. That was mm-hmm. the peak back mm-hmm. in March of 2020. There are now about a million people left in forbearance. Mm-hmm. Eight million people overall have been into the forbearance program. That means seven million have exited successfully. And, and this it, is national. This is national. And yeah. as they've exited, delinquency rates have gone down, not up. Yeah. So these people aren't exiting forbearance and going into delinquency. In no. fact, 85% leave either continuing to make their payments, mm-hmm. having their loan payments reinstated, mm-hmm. getting a, a deferral program or a loan modification, mm-hmm. or paying off the loan. Yeah. That's that's 85% of them. The other 15%, 14%, are in the in the middle of working out a plan mm-hmm. with, the, with the lender. Mm-hmm. Less than 1% have, led, have left by short sale, deed in lieu, or default. Okay, and then when we get back to that final stat, less than 1%, that's our historic norm. Yeah, 1% of loans typically go into foreclosure, and it has nothing to do with equity or sales trends. It has to do with a, a, a household financial catastrophe. Life. A, a divorce, a death, uh, unexpected bills, job loss, right. something. Um, right. and, and that's what leads to foreclosures. So right now there are about 180,000 loans in the country in some active stage of foreclosure. Mm-hmm. We've seen... Uh, increases in August, September, and October since the moratorium ended, mm-hmm. foreclosure moratorium right. ended. But we're still running 60% below where we were in 2019. Good Lord. And there are rules in place that make it really difficult for a new foreclosure to get started until mm-hmm. the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will put their usual holiday moratoriums in place. Mm-hmm. So nothing's going to happen until at least the first quarter of next year. We usually have a bump in the first quarter. Okay. Um, and and then we probably won't have another increase till midway through 2022. But we're not going to be back to normal levels of foreclosures till the end of next year, much less have a flood. It's just it ain't going to happen. Oh, Lordy. So the net net is that prices are going to continue to rise, although not quite as much. Hopefully there's not going to be this avalanche of distress inventory. And I, I really think my, my gut tells me that when the general population, like half of one percent who might actually listen to this conversation, and when the bulk of the population finally catches on that that wave isn't coming, they too are going to surge into the market because they were waiting for that. Yeah, there's and there's another big difference this time compared to prior cycles. So if you remember the Great Recession, if you went into foreclosure, mm-hmm. you lost your house and it went back to the bank. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much the, the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but remember then 33% of homeowners were underwater on their loans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm about to release a report that shows that even the people in foreclosure today, mm-hmm. 87% of them have positive equity. Which is just shatteringly different. Right. So the bottom line is if you're looking for distressed inventory this mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. you're going to have to get to that homeowner before the foreclosure sale. Right. And they've got plenty of time to sell it because the median days on market now is eight. <laughs> eight. Yes. Well, we know what you realtors are doing. We, we know we know we know how you're cheating. 
Don't you even begin to talk about what you know I do. You, you have that pocket listing. You have the buy. I, oh, no, no. I oh, see, no, no. I see the property hit the MLS, and it goes pending within a nanosecond. And it's like, wait, how did they do that? I know how they did that. I it's hope, okay. I it's hope all right. you know. It's my, all good. My all company good. has a policy of no pocket listings. Well, that's good. And we also have a policy of no dual agency. Really? Absolutely. See, now, if, if, if the rest of the industry would only adapt those things, the, the reputation of the realtor would go up exponentially. Oh, I'm sorry. Would you say that again? I said, if only the rest of the industry would follow your lead. That's right. My lead. Yes. You personally. (laughs) Wendy for president of NAR. I love this man. And I didn't pay him to say that, people. I did not. This is just authentic Rick Sharga embracing the brilliance that is moi. Okay, so last week I talked about Zillow shut down its yep. iBuyer program, um, and I was giddy the whole time. I'm still dancing around because I think it's hilarious. So what's your take on this? Yeah, uh, so a, a couple things. One, the the overreactions to Zillow exiting the iBuyer space have been mm-hmm. phenomenal. It's kind of funny. Um, one of the questions I got immediately was, does Zillow know something about the housing market that the rest of us don't know? I said, you're really not paying attention to what just happened, are you? But uh, no, so so Zillow announced publicly that they lost $300 million last quarter on their iBuyer initiative. Mm-hmm. They have another 18,000 properties that they either have already owned, they're, they already own or they're under contract, and they've said they're going to honor the contracts. Mm-hmm. They expect to lose 5 to 7% on all of those home sales as they sell them off. So you're probably looking at about $500 million, $600 million in losses. Zillow didn't exit the market because they saw that the market was about to go down. They exited because they can't afford to lose $300 million a right. quarter indefinitely, right. even as big as they are. So that that's one. Zillow didn't know something about the market nobody else knew. Two, it doesn't mean the iBuyer model is going away. Sure. The iBuyer model is basically arbitrage. So you have to be really, really good at math. And you mm-hmm. have to figure out, we're going to buy low and sell high. Right. Uh, and the, the mistake most individual investors make when they're doing a flip is they overvalue the property, so they pay too much, mm-hmm. and they underestimate how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost to bring it back to market. Right. Zillow basically made both of those mistakes, and they did it at large scale. So people talk about economies of scale, and that's true. You get bigger, you can, you can, you can kind of move your, your price, your costs over, over a lot of different uh, areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opposite is also true. If you make a mistake in your business model at scale, oh, the impact at scale, it's ridiculous. You lose three hundred million dollars a quarter. Um, so and I'm sure the board of directors loved that. Not a, not even a little bit. And, <laughs> and the, the other i buyers have done a better job sharpening their pencils. Mm-hmm. So they're doing okay. I expect what will actually happen in the i. And I haven't read anybody else talk about this. So this this is mine. Um, I think what's going to happen in the i buyer market is what happened in the single family rental market. So if you remember Blackstone and and Starwood and American Homes for Rent, the big institutions got all the press because they're gobbling up all this inventory. Mm -hmm. Um, They still own collectively. All the big guys Mm -hmm. collectively own less than 2% of single-family rental properties. Right. So it was Um, a story, but you know. But what they did was establish it as a business model that Mm -hmm. was a little bit more professional than mom and pop, the, the landlord. Right. So it caused a bunch of regional investors to spring up. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look at the trends over the last 10 years, you see that um, instead of the big institutions gobbling this up, it was somebody who focused on Raleigh or somebody who focused on Austin or somebody who focused on Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a buddy who's big in Ohio. So you, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we're going to see the same thing in the iBuyer market where you wind up with local or regional iBuyers who specialize. They understand the local market. 
they they know the realtors they can work with in the local market mm-hmm. to give them the right kind of information. Mm-hmm. Zillow relied way too heavily on its algorithm, and that's the third thing I wanted to point out. I know realtors are jumping all up and down saying, yeah, we told you this estimate sucks. This estimate doesn't suck. This estimate is a useful tool for, it's what, a very useful for, tool. for what it is. Yes. Uh, it's never going to be accurate if you're dealing with a unique property, ever, because mm-hmm. it has no comps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and none of the really expensive uh, you know, bank algorithms, uh, AVMs, are any better than, than this estimate sure. in, in broad-based markets. Mm-hmm. Um, th- their issue was they relied too heavily on it. Yeah. And, and I believe their biggest mistake was the adjustments they made after they got this estimate, not this estimate itself. Yeah. And it's a barometer, but it's not. It, it needs to be viewed as a range. If you go to their website, they tell you not to use it as the only method to determine the value of a house. They suggest you get an appraisal. You get a CMA from a qualified agent. <gasps> it's it's actually on their site in writing. That's fabulous. And, and people just kind of forget about that. But nobody I know from Zillow has ever said this is 100% accurate. Well, let's come back in spring and talk about iBuyers and see what's changed yeah. between now and then. Love to do that. And you've given us so much to talk to think about right now. Um, and I do have a few more questions. But first, Paul, will you tell us about our sponsor this week? Absolutely. The reminder here that you surround yourself with all sorts of great folks. And one of them is certainly your sponsor today, which is Ford Diulio. We've talked about him before. Ford Diulio is an Orange County-based boutique litigation firm with experienced attorneys from big law firms. And what does that give you? Well, the partners founded Ford and Diulio on the concept of aligned interest, where their success is tied to your success, where they're rewarded for being efficient and effective, and where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their clients' goals, whether in litigation, in mediation, or at trial. So if all that sounds appealing, you'd like to learn more, simple way to do it, just go to the website, forddiulio.com. That's F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O, forddiulio.com. All right, with that, let's head back to Wendy and the discussion. Can I ask one quick question? You guys always tempt me here. (laughs) Go for it. You are blowing my mind when you say no foreclosures and all this kind of stuff coming up here. Um, we had somebody on an earlier show talking about apartments. Apartments seem to be an endless up, an endless need. Are we ever going to get to a place in Orange County where we look like New York and and a huge chunk of the population just never owns a house, just always lives in apartments, and that's okay? California home ownership rates are actually among the lowest in the country. Really? So that's already true. And in Orange County, since there's very little land left to build on, right. we're starting to see a lot more planning about building up rather than building out. Right. And that suggests multifamily. We also have the, the two new Senate bills, uh, which are, are kind of inclined toward encouraging multifamily development. Mm-hmm. You mean so, 9 and 10? 9 and 10. Yeah. Yep. And so it would not surprise me at all, Paul, to see um, a, a more, uh, an even heavier emphasis on rental uh, than, than on home ownership than what we currently have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a great question. To your point also, there is an almost endless demand for that kind of housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly if you're in a market like Orange County where it's so expensive to buy a house. Yes. Um, you know, some, Sometimes that's really your only option. Absolutely. And, and it's not going to abate as long as things like Disneyland continue to exist. You know, mm-hmm. what, what, but one of, the interesting, one of the interesting things we've seen that's different, and this is – very particular to Southern California this time is last time we had a housing boom. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of people drive out to the Inland Empire mm-hmm. 
and, and buy a house there because that's what they could afford. Right. And then they'd have an awful commute, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to L.A. or Orange County or San Diego. The pandemic created a wave of activity in the industrial sector of the commercial market. Cloud computing centers, warehouse and distribution for all the e-tailers. So the Inland Empire has been one of the markets in the country that's really benefited from this. A right. ton of building, a ton of... But what it's also done is created a ton of new jobs. Mm -hmm. So people are still moving out to the Inland Empire and buying a house, but now they're doing it because that's where their job is. Right. It's not a bedroom community anymore. And as they go out there, that causes other small businesses to spring up there, which right. creates more jobs and more housing. So I, I do think one of the, the, the fundamental changes that the pandemic may have caused to our region Mm -hmm. is more of a permanent housing market in the inland empire than what we saw what we've what we've seen in the past. That's really interesting and good for my, you know, mom and pop investors to yeah. think about. Oh yeah, apps. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, you know, you were talking about a record number of people paying $10,000 to rent in, mm -hmm. in Orange County. Mm -hmm. Um I didn't know we had that many, you know, real estate brokers and drug dealers uh, with, 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 with the kind of money you wow. need to do that on, wow. on a monthly basis. But, I like the but, combination of those two. But, I, I kind of think of them as similar. Yeah, I, right. They're polar opposites. I, 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 Thank you for that clarification. Either, either end of the spectrum. But uh, just, just, I mean, look, com commercial real estate brokers make a, a gajillion dollars a year um, it, and, and because of markets like Orange County. Uh, right. But, but the, the fact is there are there are a finite number of people that are going to spend 10 or even five mm -hmm. or $4,000 a month to rent a place. Well, and many of them are doing it for um, resort purposes for holiday. Right, they, right. They, they're not from here. They don't live here. They're drug dealers from Cuba. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 They're other folks. All right. So thank a great question, Paul. Just well, popped uh, into my head here. I wonder as I look ahead where we're going because nothing seems to be working out the way us average folk no. Well, you know, we, we talked about the Inland Empire. If I were going to look for an area that might be a little vulnerable to foreclosure activity, mm -hmm. it would probably be Riverside and San Bernardino. Mm -hmm. and, and not because of what you think. It's because those markets have a very high percentage of FHA borrowers. Mm -hmm. And they also have a fairly high percentage of FHA borrowers who are delinquent on their loans. Because they had so little down payment is what you're saying? Uh, well, no, because because they, they typically have less wiggle room. So if you're, right. FHA borrowers typically do have lower down payments, so mm -hmm. they have less equity. Right. But they also typically have lower cash reserves. Mm -hmm. They typically have higher debt load. So it takes less to tip them it over. It takes less to tip them over. So so there are markets across the country. Uh, there's a firm called the American Enterprise Institute that tracks this pretty closely. Uh, there are probably a, a dozen or so markets across the country that, that have that kind of potential mm -hmm. double whammy where they have a high percentage of FHA loans mm -hmm. and also a high percentage of those loans that are delinquent. So if I were looking for a potential market vulnerability in our region, mm -hmm. it would probably be Riverside, San Bernardino for those kind of homeowners. Well, thank goodness I specialize in the coastal Orange County region. Yes, I, that's not a big issue. And I'm not a lot of FHA here. borrowers out there. There's some, but you know, some of them are getting FHA for different reasons yeah. and they're still putting a larger down payment yep. down. So, yep. all right, well, we only have a few more minutes and uh, Again, I cannot say how excited I am to have you here. I, I'm just delighted because I've missed seeing you and I adore you as a person and you've been a lovely friend for so long. But I want to ask you some questions that are not foreclosure yes. related. Okay. So every week I ask my guests different versions of the famous Vanity Fair Post questionnaire. So tell them, I already know the answer, what city do you call home? Well, actually you don't. <gasps> You've um, moved. I no. I I I live in Trabuco Canyon. Right. Been there for twenty five years. Right. But I still think of Allentown, Pennsylvania, as home. Oh. Because that's that's where I grew up. 
And I still think I have more in common with most people back there than I do with my neighbors in Trabuco Canyon. And that's exactly why we love you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Will you so, be yeah. going back for the holiday? Um, probably not. Uh, my, my mom passed away uh, a little over two years ago. I'm mm, sorry. And uh, so that she was the main reason we would make the trek mm-hmm. on the holiday. So we sure. went out and visited family this summer. And uh, we'll probably be, be home uh, just relaxing over the holidays this year. All right. Just enjoying those kids and their uh, video games. <laughs> so tell me, what is your most treasured possession? I had a little bit of trouble with this one because I'm not a possession guy. Um, and, and Think I re- outside the box. I, well, I, I had to. I really did. I'm, I'm in the wrong state. I'm not a car guy either. And I'm in California. It's like, what, what's wrong with this guy? I, I, there were a couple that came to mind. And, and the one that, uh, one's an autographed baseball for Mike Schmidt. Mike, Mike Schmidt was a third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies. is in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Paul's naughty. He gets Pro- it. Probably the best third baseman to ever play the game. And... He was my idol growing up. That's very cool. So I, I have an autographed baseball from him. So that that's prized possession. But okay. but right above that in my office is a, an autographed picture of a little league team I coached. My son was on it with the Hawaii Hawaiian Rainbow Warriors. Uh, we we got to to use college uh, teams because mm-hmm. we couldn't afford the the pro teams. But all <laughs> all the kids actually signed the photo for me and one of the team moms uh is kind of artistic so she did an art treatment over the the photo okay uh and it's it's hanging in my office and that 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 team was special to me it was a it was a i loved coaching a little league it was kind of a passion and and that team just happened to be my don't tell anybody it was my favorite little league team of all the ones i coached well your secret is not terribly safe now probably not no your cat's out of the bag all right um aside from coaching little league so far in your life, what do you consider your greatest achievement? Helping to raise two really good people who are now young adults. No kidding. No Re- joke. Really, really tough to do these days, mm-hmm. but I could not be prouder of the two kids just because, not because they're, you know, uh, you know world famous or going to be, you know, mega, mega millionaires, but because they're just good people. They're good humans. Yep. Yeah. That's what give me, gives me hope is... I'm seeing this this new batch of young people, and they do seem to overall be really decent, good people. Mm-hmm. So, bravo. And I, I don't know this. Do you have a personal motto? I have a couple, but one of my favorites is uh, a line from Mark Twain, hmm. which is, uh, never let your schooling interfere with your education. Nice. Uh, and and I, I, I go into every encounter, every meeting, every day trying to learn something from somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things my father drilled into me when I was a little kid was, uh, you know, you can learn something from everybody. Absolutely. So even a bum on the street, you can learn something from. And because I was a teenager and I knew everything, I mm-hmm. challenged him on it. I said, what, what can I learn from him? And he said, how to survive on the street. Yeah. And I went, ooh. <laughs> yeah, just going so, out there in life and being yeah. present and shutting yeah. up and listening. It's yep. its shocking what we learn when we just listen. All right, well, we, we're going to have to wrap it up. I, I adore you. I thank you for being here. I'm shamelessly going to rope you into coming back again and again and again. I would love to do that. All right. Thank you. Paul? Well, that's the show for this week been another This Week with Wendy, and be sure to follow Veracity Real Estate Company on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find this show wherever you listen to fine podcasts, and you can check it out here on our station, OC Talk Radio, streaming live from the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center. Next week, Wendy will be discussing veterans affairs and veterans housing with Antoinette Balta of Veterans Legal Institute. 
I hope I'm saying this right, Nick Safin. Siphon, Nick Siphon of Vendival Corporation. Tune in. I'm reminded I said his name wrong. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Come back again for another This Week with Wendy.